Hi, I'm Neil, and you're listening to The Whaler Podcast, a series where we sit down for a fireside chat with luminaries from the creative industry to learn how they got to where they are, how they feel about the current advertising landscape, and what keeps them up at night. In this episode, I'm joined by Keith Weed, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer of Unilever. Keith joined the company more than 30 years ago and now sits at the top table of one of the world's biggest advertisers. Keith, nice to meet you. Thank you for joining, Good joining to be here. today. So wanted to start off with a little bit about your background, because I read that you actually started your life off training to be an engineer and actually started off at Michelin. So uh, a, a big difference from today at, at Unilever. Well, a big difference, but in some ways, actually, uh, full circle in a, in a world of, of data and everything. Uh, actually, being an engineer uh, is a good good background to be a CMO. But uh, in between then, obviously, lots of different turns. But yes, I'm a, a first class um, engineering degree. I was sponsored at university by Michelin, um, which way back then, um, you know, being given a salary to go to university was rather nice. Mm. I ran a fully prepped rally car at the time, um, and that uh, was a, a lot of fun. Uh, but what I did realize is I didn't actually want to go into engineering as a job. Engineering is a degree about problem solving, analysis, you know, it's right. still very relevant to all the sort of stuff I do today. Um, but I felt that going into branding and marketing is where I'd have most fun. And indeed, I've had lots of fun. And was that a creative element of branding and marketing that inspired you? Or was it that analysis to work out how to? Um, I think marketing always has been uh, art and science, uh, magic and logic, as I, as I like to say, uh, creativity and effectiveness, and always marrying the two. Um, I, I love to paint. Uh, and uh, my wife's an artist. Uh, we have a studio at home. Um, and uh, uh, all things creative I enjoy. So I suppose bringing the two together, and I think marketing does that perfectly. Uh, certainly marketing in a, a brand-led consumer goods business. Now, and there's marketing where it's like an afterthought, where it's you know, the people who do the leaflets or whatever. Sure. But if you're in a, in a consumer goods business, uh, you know, a fast-moving consumer goods business, like a Unilever or a L'Oreal or a Nestle, et cetera, uh, marketing is about creating the value, taking products and turning them into brands. And that is art and science. And so I want to ask, did you say you had a rally car? As well, I did. Yes, um, I should also confess that um, um, I've just entered into the uh, Peking to Paris rally in 2019, oh, wow. which is 16,000 kilometers, uh, starting in Beijing, driving through Mongolia, Uzbekistan, uh, Turkestan, into uh, Moscow, down through Europe to Amazing. Paris. So, so is that always just a hop? You never considered going full time into racing and. Working in no, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm a wonderful example of jack of all trade, master of none. <laughs> I love lots of different things. Uh, I love to cook. Um, I love uh, gardens. Although my children keep telling me, "Don't say you like gardening because it makes you sound incredibly middle aged." Uh, but I do uh, enjoy uh, all things creative in that way. And um, yeah, I, well, yeah, I, I enjoy creating things, and but equally, I enjoy the whole analysis and data side as well. So. Do you think you knew you were going to get into marketing? Then, or did um, that come I think yes. Way back then, in, in it was a conscious decision. Then, uh, back in the the eighties, to to get into marketing. Now, what I didn't know is whether I was going to stay in marketing uh, uh, and where I'd go. In. And actually, in pure marketing terms, um, obviously, my my most recent job, I'm the chief marketing officer, uh, communications officer at Unilever, um, is marketing. But actually, if you go back the last whatever twenty plus years, it, I've been in more general management roles. You know, I was um, I was out of um, uh, CEO of a UK business. I, I ran a global um, home care and laundry uh, division, things like that. Uh, but most recently, the last seven years, um, as chief uh, marketing communications officer, I've been uh, focused uh, more on sort of uh, 
higher points of getting our marketing brilliant. I mean, we, we have 6,000 marketers. So, hmm. uh, we're in 180 odd countries. Every day, two and a half billion people use our products. It's a third of the planet. So when we get it right, we get it very right. And equally, when we get it wrong, the consumers tell us. So what do you, how would you define your role today? What do you see as the main responsibility that you, that you have within that very large marketing organization? Well, I think uh, the, the role I have uh, has uh, an interesting combination, but I would argue is more the combination of, of marketing roles for the future. So uh, and indeed, I am the, the chief marketing officer with the second largest advertiser in the world. Yeah, that could be a day job in their own right. So I, yeah, I run all our... Um, media team around the world, uh, consumer market insight, our marketing services, our global marketing, uh, et cetera. So you know, all things uh, marketing. But I also run sustainability, uh, social and environmental sustainability. Uh, and I sort of led the development of the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, uh, where we have 50 time-based targets. Um, uh, and it's, it's very much supporting our overall uh, vision for our business. You know, we want to grow our business while reducing our environmental footprint and increasing our positive social impact. Uh, and the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan is very much you know, underneath that, supporting uh, that. And uh, it's got some you know, big things like we want to source all our agricultural rules sustainably by uh, 2020. We're the largest tea company in the world, the largest ice cream company in the world, the largest soap company in the world. Yeah, that's a massive task to do that. Uh, we're halfway through the plan. We're about halfway um, on, uh, on plan as well. So that's all good news. Uh, but this is more about a view about what is a sustainable business for the future. And we've been around for more than 100 years. We certainly want to be around for more than 100 years again. And it's going to have to think differently. And it, you can't have uh, marketing in one corner selling more stuff and then corporate social uh, or, or CSR uh, or sustainability in another corner uh, trying to save, save the planet. Yep. Because if they're doing good, oh, does that mean I can do bad? No, we have to mainstream sustainability and make that very much part of the business proposition, the business model. And that's what you know, uh, we've been doing the past few years at Unilever is reinventing the way we do business so we have sustainability uh, at the core. So the chief sustainability officer reports to me, for example. Um, and then I have communications. Uh, and in a joined-up uh, internet world, this now makes sense. So not so long ago, you'd have corporate communication saying one thing over here yep. uh, and then marketing saying something else over here. Uh, and in that joined up nature, I have internal, external communications, external affairs, um, our foundation, uh, and these are all things to join it up. So it's those three components uh, is what uh, my role is. Out of interest, one of the things I found fascinating in people leading in marketing positions is actually the talk of as much as it is the external marketing to consumers, as actually is in sharing the brand vision internally. And almost everyone that works internally, to some extent, is a marketeer of the brand as well. And That's there's it. as much energy that goes into sharing that vision. And I'm guessing that comes through with your sustainability thing that, yes, it's core across all of your marketing strategies, but actually bringing internally that in and, and sharing that vision and, and mission. Is that something that you're... Yes, very much so. So this is where I think the internal communication, external communication, and marketing comes together. So uh, very much um, uh, where we have 170,000 employees. Uh, they are all individual influencers themselves. Uh, they have family and friends. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can have people who have very different uh, approaches. And I think you know, a couple of uh, data points I think we should help, help bring this alive. Um, so firstly, up until recently, LinkedIn used to do this thing about they, the most looked up companies. They've changed that sort of KPI. But last year they had that. 
And if you look at the most looked up companies on LinkedIn, um, the first one uh, was Google. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Second one was Apple. Yeah, I can understand that as well. Uh, uh, number four was Facebook. Uh, number five was Microsoft. Number six uh, was Amazon. I follow that. Yeah, number three was a soup and soap company called Unilever. And I believe one of the reasons why uh, we were was, was because there's so many people now looking for more than just a company to go and pick up a, a, a salary slip. Uh, and you know, the fact that, yes, we sell soap, but what we also do is have a whole campaign about teaching people to wash their hands properly around the world. We are very much a global business. More than half our sales uh, are in the developing and emerging markets. And actually, washing your hands is, is a life or death um, a situation. Um, you know, right now, three jumbo jets of children under the age of five die every day unnecessarily. Now, if there were literally three jumbo jets just yeah. know, falling out of the sky, we'd do something about it. But why are they dying? They're dying from diarrhea and respiratory uh, problems with a simple uh, bar of soap could save. They wash their hands after going to the toilet, before food preparation, before eating, whatever. Uh, they wouldn't have uh, these problems. So we go out and teach people how to wash their hands with soap. Uh, and so far, we've made a commitment to teach a billion people under the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. That's one of the 50 time-based targets. We're 440 million right now. So when you've got someone working on, on uh, soap, they're not just selling more soap. They're also trying to you know, improve the quality of life for people in society. And that makes, I think, a, your job a little bit different. Um, now, you could also say, well, hold on, you've just said you're the largest soap company in the world. Um, so it's hardly surprising. And absolutely. And that's why I think it starts to make sense. When I took over this role, uh, we had um, CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, and I was on um, Statue of Liberty with a, with a, um, a US park ranger. Okay. Uh, and he said, you know, I want to thank you, Unilever. You built that pier. I thought, I was like, what are we doing but building piers? I'm sure there's a very good reason. Sure. Building piers off Statue of Liberty. I, I also found that we were supporting police dogs in South Africa. Again, a very noble cause stopped all that and said, no, what we're going to do is we're going to support things that are very much in our area of expertise where we can add value, which aren't sort of charity things that people can either choose to do or then drop the next day, but a fundamental part of our brands. So, of course, nutrition, health, hygiene, self-esteem, etc. So for Dove, you know, supporting real uh, beauty, that, you know, looking at self-esteem through a different way, we do a huge amount of work with Girl Guides, uh, and what we're doing is with Girl Guides, I've been on one of them. Uh, it's quite a fascinating thing where they literally hold up a, you know, a front of a magazine and then say to all the girls, right, now get into that, into that pose. And, of course, it's impossible because then you realize the only way that girl's got sure. the pose is they've, they've edited the arm and moved it across to make the... Uh, and starting to explain to girls about what's going on in this beauty world. Um, and, uh, and those are the sort of things that you know, Dove has carved out a space to really champion the whole area of self-esteem and think about beauty in a different way. And you won't be surprised, I can tell you about Ben and Jerry's. Don't worry, I won't go through everything. But I could also talk about Vaseline, the work they're doing in Syria uh, with refugees, because you know, one of the things that wouldn't worry you if you got a nick or a cut, uh, but when you're in a refugee camp, one of the, the worst things that can happen is skin problems, because as soon as your skin barrier breaks down, then a lot right. of other things go. And so we uh, support um, dermatologists uh, in the camps. And, of course, good old Vaseline pejorian jelly is one of the best things you can use in those uh, situations. So I, I was telling you a little bit about this sort of people wanting to work for Unilever because of the sort of company we're trying to be. 
But then if I also go internally, you know, one of our recent studies across all our workforce, um, and this is with a standard questionnaire about engagement and et cetera, and our engagement levels are up at the high 70s, which is, is sort of world-class levels. But on the question, are you proud to work for Unilever, 92%. So you've got 92%. These are people who are uh, you know, uh, office workers, factory workers, sales force, et cetera. 92% said they're proud to work for Unilever. Hmm. And that thing, I think, hopefully will encourage other companies to think about there is a different way. Yep. That, you, know, you can build a business which is successful. You know, since I've been doing this job, um, we've grown ahead of the market, ahead of our competition. Uh, we've doubled our share price. You know, and we're not a tech company. I say we're a super soap company. Yep. So we've performed, but at the same time, we've tried to take on some of these challenges, environmental and social challenges uh, in the world, to build a different type of business. What's uh, interesting to me, though, is that I'm learning much of this firsthand, and it's interesting how core it obviously is to your mission, and you're speaking so passionately about it. And obviously we hear of companies like Tom's, for example, or companies that started off with it. Yeah. And actually, I think you guys do just as much in many a way but maybe people don't realize because it's something that's maybe come about in the last 10 years or whatever period. And I guess, is that a challenge for you to, to really find the best ways to communicate that for people to, to change the opinion and see that yeah. coming through? Well, yes, I think what we, uh, maybe we're, we're a little bit sort of uh, Anglo-Dutch in this way. So uh, we'd prefer to people to discover what we're doing rather than beat our... Uh, at chess and get into sort of two greenwashing yeah. uh, challenges. Having said that, this has been around in Unilever for a long time, to be clear. So uh, back to Lord Leverhulme, late 1800s. If you ever go out to the northwest of uh, the UK, go to the Wirral, Port Sunlight, uh, classic Quaker, built a village for his workforce, um, started giving them holidays. They didn't have holidays mm. back then. Um, uh, pensions. Uh, so he was a real innovator. Having said that, he was also an incredible businessman uh, in fact, one of the first people to come up with a brand. Up until that point, brands were the names of the founders, Ford, mm. Hoover, you know, it was Henry Ford, et cetera. And he came up with um, Sunlight Soap, his idea of he wanted to take sunlight to the masses, uh, and, and then took it around the world. And the reason why we have, you know, we're the biggest consumer business in India is we arrived in the late 1800s in India with Sunlight Soap. Um, and he had a big vision. He built the largest private port in the world at the time in Port Sunlight, and shipped his product around the world. So there's always been a bit of this in the, in the company. I think what's different is, coming back to you know, the, the thought you were chatting about uh, before we started this, influencers and social media, I think what's changed now uh, is the word of mouth. I mean, uh, social media is, is sort of um, coffee chat or bar chat on steroids. You know, you're, you're going to many, many more people. And in doing so, I think people are genuinely interested if you have a story to tell. And so what we've been doing on Unilever is just sharing our story. I mean, when I started this job, uh, believe it or not, you know, seven years ago, uh, which I know I've never worked so long in a job, <laughs> but this job bears no resemblance to the job I started seven years ago. But back then, you know, we didn't even have a Facebook page for, uh, for Unilever. Yeah, right. that's, you know, that's how quick it's all happened. Um, and I think building uh, our assets about the story of Unilever, um, you know, we work with one and a half million uh, smallholder farmers. Um, and uh, these are the people who are growing the food that we all uh, eat. Um, but you know, helping them to do it in a sustainable way, which will improve their yields, improve their lifestyle, but also for you and I buying them uh, in the supermarket, have you know, more sustainable uh, goods for the future. 
we try and tell the story through our, our brands. You know, Unilever doesn't sell anything as such. So uh, if you see Ben and Jerry's and the story around, um, you know, uh, uh, free trade and 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 fair fair sourcing and and all the uh, the angles of, of looking through the uh, ingredients and how do you make the best possible ice cream? It's Ben and Jerry's that tell that story. But similarly, if you go to uh, PG Tips in the UK or Lipton Tea around the world, uh, you'll see the story uh, around you know, Rainforest Alliance and the work we do there, certifying uh, tea. Uh, and I can sort of run you through each and one of our our, our, our products, whether it be our our, our um, laundry products, our, our clothes cleaning products, and using less water and lower temperatures, and and it's literally going through product by product, brand by brand, and saying what is the story they have. Now, hopefully, the you, which I, uh, I've now put on all our packaging and all our advertising, we didn't used to have that, believe it or not, uh, we do now. Uh, I want the you to be the good housekeeping seal, uh, sort of the trust mark of sustainability. So in the years to come, uh, and it definitely will happen, uh, the importance of sustainability will grow and grow and grow. Uh, and in the work we're doing now, um, you'll get to the supermarket shelf or on your e-com page, and you'll look at two products. And uh, you certainly won't want to pay a premium for it. And why, why should you pay a premium for a company doing the, the job sure. correctly? Uh, but you look at two products, and you say, well, that one comes from you, leave it. You know, I'm not quite sure what they're doing, but I know they'll have worked a little bit harder to save the planet, save a local society, whatever, I'll buy that one. And if I can get that to be a swing vote in the future, uh, then all the work around the Unilever brand will have been you know, well worth it. Hmm. And how do you feel about social media's impact? As you said, seven years ago, Unilever didn't have a Facebook page. What impact does that have? And, and what does that play in your marketing strategies hmm. today? How do you use it? Well, it's been an extraordinary journey. Um, and um, you know, just like everyone else, we've learned a massive amount. If I go and look at some of the early playbooks. We, we make a playbook for each of the uh, platforms, right. a, a Facebook, a Twitter, a YouTube, whatever. If I look at some of the, the early playbooks, I mean, these are museum pieces. Um, and uh, in the early days of... It's amazing uh, to be a museum piece just seven years. I know, exactly. That shows the yeah. rate of, it, it, of innovation. Yeah. So we went to... Uh, we did one of those classic Silicon Valley tours. Um, and we were you know, one of the first companies, you know, uh, seven years ago, only seven years ago. I can remember dropping in on... on uh, the iPad had just come out. <laughs> Uh, and we dropped in on, on Apple, and they were just launching the iAd, um, which, again, is already now a museum piece because they, they've closed down their advertising. But, in fact, six fantastic years of the most immersive, uh, incredible um, uh, ads. You know, when we were doing iAds um, on the Apple platform, people were spending 70 seconds in an ad, you know, and that's how, how incredible they were. Mm -hmm. But, of course... We got there early, and we worked with Apple from the very beginning. Each time they moved to a country, we'd give them, I don't know, eight or nine brands to start the platform. Yep. Um, and uh, we thought it was the most fantastic product. But even at the end, we were having Apple engineers building our ads, whereas other people who came later were using, having to use advertising agencies, et cetera. So I think there's something all the way through this, and still now, and I've just come back um, from uh, New York this morning where I was meeting with all the people you would imagine um, on the East Coast, on the, on the digital side. You know, we're still innovating to this day, but I think uh, experimenting and practicing and, and learning together. Uh, I've been on the Facebook Client Council since the very first one five years ago, and boy, hasn't that changed. You know, we didn't even have ROI on Facebook five years ago. Yep. Um, uh, it wasn't even on mobile then. Um, it was uh, a desktop, etc., uh, and so I think learning and flexing uh, as you go 
uh, and experimenting. As long as, you, as long as you're willing to fail quickly and hopefully fail cheaply, uh, you'll, le you'll learn a lot. And I, I do believe that that's a, a, a different type of marketing. And if I look now, the marketing's changed more in the last five years than it had in the previous 25. Even though we thought we were all doing, but you know, what did we do? We were discussing about whether you should, I don't know, uh, um, drip or burst a, a campaign or something. Yep. Uh, you know, and a media plan was, I don't know, half a dozen pages. And now a media plan is like a book in, in, in comparison. It's and how extremely do you, different. How do you feel the role? I mean, two interesting questions to come from this. One is sometimes, especially actually in the world of the platforms, they don't like the word social media because they think it gets into a siloed budget. And actually, when I speak to marketers nowadays, like, no, it's, it's just part, it might as well just be called marketing. You know, it's a media um, channel. I'm interested to know how you take, is there a different approach you have with it? Is there a different voice mm. of a brand? And we were talking about influencers and individuals yeah. and you'd coined power users before. And it's just, from the learnings that you've had, what's your approach too social in the way that your brands interact with consumers through it. So I think you were right. There was certainly a time when uh, the, the, you know, everyone was trying to fight for uh, TV dollars, and hence people were positioning themselves uh, against it. But the truth of the matter is, it's no longer digital marketing. It is marketing in a digital world. And this notion of traditional versus digital was always a bit of a funny thing. Traditional lumped together TV, radio, posters, you know, and sampling whatever you could argue some of TV is digital yeah exactly <laughs> and then on, on the uh, and then on the digital side you had everything from social and search and uh, and ecom etc so uh, but it, I, I think you it's fair to say there was uh, sort of older media and newer media and uh, and of course newer media was trying to get uh, hold of the budget of old uh, media and I think it's it's true there is at the end of the day only one consumer and one budget um, and so there is a, that that competition. But I think the way we look at it is um, one thing that's changed, well, actually two things that have changed dramatically. One is, is how people speak to people and people speak to brands and brands speak to people. So the, uh, the old model of Thursday night, put a fantastic TV ad on in the middle of Coronation Street, Saturday morning, you spend your 15 seconds in the laundry aisle, you pick up Purcell, drop it into your uh, trolley, bish bash, you know, job done. Now, I think that that engagement is 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 so uh, uh, different. Uh, first of all, the communication um, and uh, the, the multi-screen approach, and and that's why I don't think it is traditional versus digital or old versus new. It is multi-screen. That's the way to be most effective. To use several different uh, ways in, uh, and to work out how you're going to engage uh, with your ultimate consumer. The second thing that's changed, uh, as illustrating that, that little uh, uh, story, has been the path to purchase. And of course, we now have e-com and everything goes with it, uh, search, uh, rating and reviews. And this has hugely changed um, the way you engage. So what we do is, is understand the consumer journey. And we need to show up at the right place at the right time with the right asset. Um, and also, of course, all those showing ups um, have different importance in different categories and different brands. So each of our brands probably have, I don't know, 10 or a dozen uh, consumer journeys, and we prioritize different things in different brands. So we've done a huge amount of work stepping up our position in search, because in doing that, we realized we you know, weren't quite where we wanted to be. A couple of years ago, this was. Now, actually, we're doing it again, but actually we're in, in e-commerce, because you know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time 
actually searching the e-commerce. I'm, I'm a perfect example. I am completely and utterly addicted to Amazon. Um, and uh, so I start off by buying something inside the Amazon app. Yeah. Uh, and I'll buy it within the Amazon app because it's one click and it's easy, et cetera. And I don't have to fill out my credit card and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but people have their own faith. You know, you get very caught. Hey, I'm a huge WhatsApp user. Um, you'll see me on, on LinkedIn and, and, uh, uh, and on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you'll see me publicly not at all on Snapchat, but actually that's how I engage with my daughter um, uh, because that's what she uses. And so you... You sort of engage uh, accordingly. So I think social, digital, right the way through to um, you know mobile versus uh, desktop versus TV, is really understanding how's this shifting and where do you want to be. And, and by the way, it's still shifting. Voice is going to be huge. AI, you know, uh, virtual uh, reality, augmented reality. These are the next ways. But to me, the, the next big one will be uh, around voice. I think voice is. Actually, what we do right now with devices is quite weird. You know, we take a lump of metal out and we poke it with our finger. Mm. This is not a very human action. But you can imagine when we're starting to talk to devices. I don't know whether you have a, yeah. I have Alexa, I have Google Home. I'm still sort of arguing with myself between the two. Um, well, I'm still arguing with Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I tell you what, I think most of us right now are using um, all these as just fantastic DJs. Um, but we are in the US doing much more um, in actually building functionality, which will come to the UK. The UK is a little bit behind on the, uh, on the functional sides, but we're doing recipes through Hellman's in the, in the US. Um, and you can see, again, it will change the role of search. You know, when you're looking up search on a screen, you'll roll your eyes down 10. Yep. But if it's voice, what will you do? One go. Maybe one, or then you say, oh, give us another one, Alexa. Maybe you get to the third. Give us another one. And by then, you'll either give up or you'll yeah. have chosen one. So, you know, one of the questions to Google will be, what, what, how are they, they going to sell the 10th place on search, you know, uh, in a voice environment? So things are still changing. And that's why you need to go to the Consumer Electronic Show, even if you are a consumer goods business. Um, you need to um, uh, work out, you know, how people's lives are ch changing. We do a lot of research just in media usage. Um, in fact, a lot of people say, like, yeah, why, why is a company like yours so into Google and Facebook, whatever? And the answer is, is because our, our consumers are. And it's about fishing where the fish are. We want to show up. You know, people know and love us on TV. I want them to know and love us on Facebook and on Snapchat and on Twitter uh, and on YouTube. Uh, and if they're going to spend some time there, I'm going to be there welcoming them. What's the, I mean, it, what's the, what keeps you up? What's the challenge around all of this that's there? Because obviously it sounds like you've got a pretty clear vision and at least lots of eyes on the right places to discover stuff. Where do you really worry about potentially getting it wrong or what you might miss out on? Yes. Um, well, I could give even longer answers on that. Uh, and anyway, we get it wrong all the time. Uh, uh, but I think you, you probably learn more from you know, the mistakes you make. Um, and is allowing that in the business actually a core part of Yes, I think a, a, level, a level of tolerance. Well, I, the way, I think the way you do it is you encourage experimentation. So you say, hey, we should be piloting that, we should be experimenting that. And when you use that expression, because you're saying it's experimentation and piloting, that, that language allows failure. Yep. Um, you don't uh, set the bar to knock it out But if you say, you know, we're going to do this and make it big tomorrow or whatever, that language doesn't allow any failure. So I think if you encourage experimentation and piloting, uh, you're... you're creating a space where we're going to learn from this. Um, so what keeps me away? I suppose uh, 
Well, one really quick one up front, uh, and then then the, the, the bigger one. Um, up front is is um, making sure your team are skilled enough uh, to take on some of these challenges. Uh, I, I have a, a personal passion in in, um, in learning uh, and and sort of trying to work out where the world's going. Um, not everyone shares that. Um, I, I think you know a leader in in this day and age has to bring the the future forward and the outside in. And I think that's a new role that marketing can do in, in corporations. Where's the growth going to come from? It puts marketing very much in the core of any business if you, if you do it well. And uh, uh, I think it's a genuinely exciting time to be in marketing. There's a lot of people wandering around, uh, CEOs and boards, trying to work out what's going on here right now. And if you can you know, uh, uh, show what are the key trends that are going to impact this business going forward, that really helps you know, the strategic direction of the business. So this first thought about tooling up. So we've done a massive uh, skills training, capability training around uh, digital in Unilever. Uh, all our marketers have gone through it. Uh, I made it compulsory, mandatory, uh, very unlike Unilever, but it's mandatory, including my e uh, executive committee colleagues. We've right. done it as well. Um, and it's some really basic stuff like you know, SEO, uh, big data part one, big data part two, big data part and then little video things. And you start off with a test and it's all e-based, start off with a test. Then you do it, and then you have a test at the end. And if you don't get, don't see the test, you have to do it again. Hmm. Um, and and of course, it's all e-based. I know who's done it, who hasn't done it. Uh, and so I, I literally forced last year 100% of our marketers through it, um, and that makes a huge difference because this sort of there's this lost generation of people who aren't at one stage digital natives, who also aren't in their 50s with digital natives of children. So you know the reason why even before I got this job that I was active on on a Facebook or whatever, you know, because my kids were. But the people who are in their sort of late 30s, early 40s, who don't have digital native yet kids, are sort of bluffing a little bit about what they read in the Financial Times and The yeah. Economist or whatever. Um, and, and, and these are the very people who are running our countries and our, our brands. In, you know, so, so a big mass training, I think, is important. So you're giving people Ferraris to drive and they haven't even got a driving license so keeps me away. But I think there's a bigger one... Uh, that really impacts everything we do, and that is is um, fragmentation uh, or lack of integration. Uh, I often say, you know, technology enables you to do lots of things. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and and we're surrounded by lots of experts who are saying, well, if you're going to do it, it's on mobile. You know, you, you can do this. You to be 110% on mobile. This is what you have to do. Or if you have a search strategy, you have to do this. Or if you uh, on social, you need to do that. Each of those are being optimized for the channel. And actually, I'm quite happy to be 85 90%, 70% if I'm 110% for the brand. Yep. Uh, and I think a lot of our brands are being pulled apart. You know, we used to have really tight control, three or four you know, big uh, pieces of, of content uh, a year. Um, and, and now, as I know you've said so well, we've got three or 4,000. How do you keep control of all that? How do you control what's going on on rating reviews on one side? What assets get served up when someone does a mobile search uh, through to um, you've got some sort of influencer engaging on something over there? How do you keep that all together uh, and integrate what you're doing where you might have, you know, before one or maybe two advertising agencies working on your brand and now you might have 30 or 40 working on a brand? So if that's your biggest nightmare, what's your approach to a solution? For that. Yeah, so I think that the, the brands that are most integrated 
are the brands that have the greatest clarity of uh, who they are and what they're doing. And it's, as always, the, <laughs> the old disciplines <laughs> solve new problems. Um, and so if you have real clarity on your brand positioning, personality, imagery, etc. Um, so again, um, a Ben and Jerry's, a Dove, you know, no problem. Um, uh, because people actually even know the tone of voice of the brand uh, and, and, and play along with you. It's your reference point yeah, it, for operating in each channel. Exactly. That brings it all but together. But if you don't have clarity on, on, on the brand uh, and it starts pulling apart, then you have a nightmare. Then it just, it, in fact, it's not fragmentation, it's atomization. Atomization just really sort of uh, pulls up. There's another area, actually, sorry, I know you asked me for one, and I've given you only given me one and a half, but let me give you a third. Do you then. get any sleep? <laughs> <laughs> let me give you a third. Is, uh, in this whole area of, of digital media is, is what I, I've been sort of talking about for, for some years now, the three Vs of viewability, verification, and value. Um, and, and more recently, there's a few others uh, starting to talk in this area. I'm surprised it's taken so long um, for others to engage, or maybe it is nothing more than the job rotation of CMOs. And because I've been doing this job um, across you know, multiple countries for quite a while, it's enabled me to sort of get my mind around it and also have relationships with the different media companies enough to be able to uh, see what is, uh, what is going on, uh, what is a, a good story and what's a, what's a reality. So the three Vs, the first one is viewability um, and having viewability standards. Now there's a, a viewability standard out there uh, which says half the pixels for two seconds. Uh, and that's been pushed as one of the view. This is ridiculous. I mean, um, yeah, the in, yeah, because the industry standard is that. I mean, would you look at a, a, and pay for a TV ad if only you could see half the TV ad for two seconds? Of course you wouldn't. So why, why would we even consider it there? You know, if my mum was to go out and buy 100 uh, PG tips, and when she got back, she opened it, there were 50 PG tips bags inside, and it said, the industry standard is we deliver 50%. My mum wouldn't be too pleased yeah. about that. So why, you know, anyone, uh, and, and so we're very clear, we pay for 100% of the pixels, uh, and for half the film. Now, people don't then watch the rest of the film. That's our fault. It's not very engaging. But we need standards which will reflect some sort of reality. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is about uh, verification, third-party verification. And when I started talking about this a few years ago, I, I think I probably did get the tone wrong. Um, and I think people felt I was challenging their integrity, which I wasn't. But we do third-party verification across all sorts of media. This is billions and billions of dollars to play. Um, and... Um, I said, I said here in the UK, you know, the trouble is you're marking your own homework, uh, which I was multilingual in the US and said you're grading your own homework. Okay, very nice. Just look at that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, um, uh, and this grading your own homework I was sort of picked up as a, as a, um, as a thought uh, because it's a very real thought. If you know, a, a digital platform is telling you, well, you, know, you bought this and let me tell you how well you did, uh, I, I don't think this is, this is the sort of uh, area I want to be. Now, all credit to all the big players. They have all made big steps in yep. this way. Uh, we're not quite where we want to be, and they're not all in the same area. Um, but we very much encourage people to use Moat, a third-party verification uh, company, uh, and we're mo still moving in the right direction. And you know, as I keep saying, the destination is clear. All we're debating right now is the timing. So we will get there um, uh, with the right viewability standards and the right verification, because between those two, you then get to... Uh, the value uh, and and getting the right pricing and you know we're big advertising we want to make sure we get the the right value uh, out of this.
That's great. That's awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. There's one thing to finish up on, which is our quick fire round. So the first things that come to your mind on this, what is the best business book you've read? Um, oh, wow. Uh, I've read quite a few. Um, I think um, Leadership Plain and Simple by Steve Radcliffe. Uh, he used to be my coach once. Really inspiring guy. It's, by the way, it's, it's a thin book and an easy read. Okay. So that's also pretty good for <laughs> business books. Um, and so um, in business books, you find the first chapter and the last chapter is, is the book. And then everything in the middle is just is uh, just padding. So yep. that's a good one. Yep. Nice. Perfect. Uh, name someone who's inspired you the most. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of, uh, oh gosh, there's all sorts of lots of interesting people in the world of advertising and, and marketing um, that, um, do you know, in recent time, um, I would probably say Ban Ki-moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quiet spoken, uh, you know, uh, the Secretary General of the UN. But look what he achieved with the sustainable development goals, 17 goals, you know, the world's to-do list, um, and uh, got, you know, people behind that and, and, and signed up that. But also with COP21, uh, getting the world to sign up to um, a, uh, a climate a- agreement never before. Now it's all being rattled by others. But the leadership there, um, and I had the, the privilege to meet him on several occasions wearing my sustainability hat uh, job. At, uh, and, um, yeah, a tremendously uh, inspirational guy. Fantastic. Favorite band? Stones. Has to be. Rolling Stones. Favorite movie? The original Italian job. Okay, that is a good movie. Uh, if you didn't work in this industry, what else would you be doing? Uh, I'd definitely be uh, in some uh, tech area. Um, uh, I'm the, uh, I say it's the most interesting time to be in business and, and marketing and such a fun time. Um, I just wish that uh, I was, uh, yes, um, in Silicon Valley or um, in uh, Beijing um, on the... Uh, or, or that, in fact, I could also go out... Uh, I um, run our uh, foundry, which is a startup. So in Israel, some fantastic. Mm. There is so much interesting, clever stuff going uh, on. Well, I, hey, I might get there anyway. Uh, someone uh, told me something interesting about Israel. I asked why there's so many big global brands growing. And they said, because we know from day one we need to be global. The Israel market is not big enough for us. So we instantly think global day one. And sure enough, it's working, yeah. working well. Uh, if you had a time machine, when and where would you go? Well, it'd be cheating to go forward, so let's go backwards. Um, You're the first person to say that, though. That's an interesting that that was a, a thought process. Well, it's sort of cheating, isn't it? Because I could then I could then talk about um, a, a, a future. Um, yeah. But if I was good, if I was to go backwards, do you know I I actually um, I'm sort of quite romantic uh, about um, those sort of rugged times of the of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm into cowboy and Indian movies, but I just love that idea of of uh, arriving in this sort of country and then pushing out uh, new frontiers, uh, et cetera. And I think there's a, I could even argue there's a parallel to what we're all doing in digital right now, going into the unknown and trying to discover and trying to make good out of bad and uh, et cetera. So yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably have my wagon and, and um, family and kids and go and find a, a green field somewhere. I love that analogy. Uh, if you were running for office, what would your campaign slogan be? <laughs> well, I, I've got quite a few. Uh, people who know me uh, laugh a lot about the amount of expressions I use. So I love Woody Allen's um, 80% of success is showing up. Mm-hmm. I think too often people uh, don't uh, take part in things because they just don't get you it. Know? Um, 
I, I once, uh, before Bear Grylls became very polished as he is right now, uh, when he was a very nervous, uh, actually the youngest Brit to climb Everest, telling yep. that story, um, uh, he used the expression that the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is one little word, extra. And all I do is extra. And I think that's a great uh, thought for anyone to just, just do that little bit extra. And it really does uh, differentiate you from everyone. Who There's a lot of ordinary out there and just do that little bit extra. Um, but probably uh, the one which is, those are obviously two other people's. The one that I use and invented myself in inverted commas uh, is, um, I think it's important to have fun. I think miserable people deliver miserable results. And I don't think you can misery your way uh, through this world. You need to inspire people, engage people. Uh, there are some people that walk into a room and suck the very oxygen out of the air. All possibility goes out of the window, um, and uh, everyone's covering the backside. There are other people who walk in, and, and people just you know, grow, and they you know, think and try and experiment and, and, and make stuff happen. Uh, and I think if you get into that way, um, I, I think you get a real positive thing. So to me, it's about um, bringing energy, getting people to be at their best more of the time. You know, everyone has a good bit, a mediocre bit, and a bad bit. And if you can get your good bit and make that bigger and, and get rid of the, the, uh, the bad bit, you'd be absolutely amazed at how much more you can get out of individuals mm. and indeed out of a company. That's great. And the very last question, a whaler-related question, beluga, blue, humpback, or killer whale? Um, You're allowed to say killer. <laughs> I want to say killer. <laughs> How can you see that? Oh, be killer. Yeah. oh, at the end of the day, it's got to be killer. There you go. Perfect. Thanks, Keith. Okay. Great Cheers. chatting to you. Good talking to you. Perfect. Thanks for listening to the Whaler Podcast. Be sure to check out the next episode where I'm chatting to Nicola Mendelssohn, the VP Emir of Facebook. <laughs>